Dave Chappelle reviews are starting to come in, and it's exactly what we'd expected. Quick context. Dave Chappelle released a comedy special on Netflix. It was very offensive, and it directly targeted outraged leftists and cancel culture. And sure enough, the critics were angry. Now, at first, they said he was all of the bigoted things in the book. Then they started saying, you know what? That attack isn't working. Let's call him bored or lazy or even old. One critical review said it's so hard being a comedian in your 40s. But Dave Chappelle was right to call out cancel culture, and it's reflected now in the incoming audience score. Since the last video, there have been a few more critical reviews, and the consensus so far is still rather negative. Again, only eight critical stories, and they don't include all the other stories that I critiqued in my last video. But out of 7,854 audience reviews, he's got a 99%. That's insanely high. Some of the highest audience reviews we've seen, one of the highest audience reviews we've seen for basically anything on Netflix. I mean, we can look over at the certified fresh movies and see they're at 80, 84, 80. It's not 99. But this shows us the glaring disparity between the media class and the general population. Twitter is not real life. The overwhelming majority of Americans are not on Twitter. But the woke outrage left is and that drives a conversation. It's very effective for them. Unfortunately, we then see people in politics acting like it's the real world when it isn't. I've highlighted numerous examples of how the media class very clearly has entrenched itself in a small ideological echo chamber. I've talked about it quite a bit, but I've got more examples. I want to focus on this separation between the general public and the woke outrage left in today's video. And we're going to start with Dave Chappelle's special because, look, I can make a million and one videos talking about how incredible Dave Chappelle is. But the special was really, really funny. I didn't laugh at every joke. Some were just downright shocking. But it was good. I give it a five out of five. One of the best comedy specials I've seen in a long time. Huge fan of George Carlin. And this really hit the nail on the head with a hammer. But let's talk politics for a second. How do you think the people would feel about, say, a documentary related to, I don't know, Ocasio-Cortez and the far left squad members? Well, of course, the critics would give it a 100%. I kid you not. Not one of the 83 critics deviated. 100%. That means literally every single one. I can't, I can't believe it. Now look at the audience ratings. Out of 1,354, it has a 34%. Now I'm not going to say that this is a reflection on the politics a reflection on the film, okay? But here's the thing. While many of these audience reviews might, might say it's just overwhelmingly bad in terms of filmmaking, the critics are basing their determination on the politics and not the, not the product. This is the deviation between the general public and the ideological left. When we see all of these movie reviews, and, and we've got one over here at the Daily Wire, you can see that critics overwhelmingly are looking to the politics and not the product, and the audience is looking at the product, not the politics. This means that for a regular person, Rotten Tomatoes is almost entirely useless, and the media isn't talking to you. Listen, I want to watch a funny movie. I want to watch a funny comedy special. Tell me if it was made well. Not if they agree with your politics, but that's what they're doing. So here's what we should do. Let's read a little bit about how the Daily Wire is digging into this. But I want to talk about the fracturing between the general population and cancel culture. Before we get started, make sure you head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, and a physical address. But the best thing you can do, share this video. You know why? What I do on YouTube is another really great example 
of the fracturing between this elite media class, consistently centralized in urban centers, and real American moderate commentary. Regular people like Dave Chappelle. Regular people like Chick-fil-A. And that's the next thing I'm going to get into, showing you this disparity between what these activists are actually claiming should be or is versus what people are actually doing. Let's read. The critics' reviews of comedian Dave Chappelle's latest Netflix stand-up special, Sticks and Stones, are rolling into uh, review site Rotten Tomatoes. And they're exactly what you'd expect, expect in the year of woke of the woke scolds. But while the critics gnash their teeth over Chappelle's unapologetic and purposefully offensive hour special, the general audience cheers. As of Wednesday morning, Sticks and Stones with, a th- yeah, so I showed you this already. Let's move on. They say, like dropping in, oh, okay, they're going to get into the, uh, the, the I'll, I'll just read it. In the special, nothing is off limits for Chappelle, hitting on so-called cancel culture, abortion, guns, race, the Me Too movement, Jesse Smollett, Michael Jackson, etc., etc., like dropping in on a rascally uncle who doesn't know or doesn't care how much he's disappointing you, whined Slate's Inku Yang in response to the special. While Uncle Dave was once cool, argued Kang, his jokes in 2019 make you wince. Apparently they don't. Apparently these critics, they live in this weird bubble. I'm really curious as to how this, you know, how this is, how they can't see what's really going on. I'll tell you this. You want, you want to know what Americans want? They want a funny TV show and they want a chicken sandwich. I kid you not. Americans aren't paying attention to this stuff. The other day I went to Chick-fil-A. Okay. I made a video about this where I said, look, you want to get Trump a victory? Cancel Chick-fil-A. People love that place. I went, someone commented about how they had great milkshakes. And I said, well, there's one nearby. I was driving past and I said, I'll stop by. But guess what? There was probably 20 cars in the drive-thru. It was insane. The lot was packed. I couldn't park. And I said, you know what? If I'm going to try this milkshake, I've got to sit and wait for this. That's what Americans really want. It doesn't mean they're right, but it certainly doesn't mean these people are right either. While there are now some reviews that are positive, they all seem to try and play the same game. And I've highlighted this before. But that's why Dave Chappelle is right to tackle this, you know, cancel culture. The Daily Wire mentions that Captain Marvel is another example of this. I thought Captain Marvel was really bad, and it's surprising for a Marvel film. But there's something that doesn't work about how they're trying to address social justice as well as different communities, you know, power fantasies. Captain Marvel was a character who was just strong and got to do whatever she wants. She was mean. She actually victimized some guy for saying mean words to her. It just didn't come off as somebody who earned, you know, their power. I thought the movie was poorly made and the story was kind of weak. Yet here we go with the critics saying it was great. And we see that all the time. Uh, so we've, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read through all the audience reviews, but of course people are saying it was good. This tweet from Paul Saka is going viral where he says, there is no media bias once again, highlighting Knock Down the House and Dave Chappelle Sticks and Stones. What it really shows is, I perhaps, it, perhaps it does show a bias, but here's how I described it. Described it. Rotten Tomatoes is the clearest picture of the divide between the media class and regular people. Media is becoming centralized in ideological echo chambers. They are a very small, tight-knit community compared to the general public. And it's true. And now we can see the expanding analysis. Beyond what the media is saying, we can see that cancel culture is, this, is, this is one of the biggest aspects of the culture war. I think back to Gamergate, when one of the memes was, I just wanted to play video games, right? When all of a sudden politics started becoming more important than whether the game was good or not. And this was one of the first great battles in the culture war. We are now coming to a point 
where the culture war is affecting literally everything from the shows you watch on Netflix, mainstream programming, to major movies that are coming out, and yes, even your chicken sandwich. We have this story from Real Clear Politics. I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but it says cancel culture isn't real life yet, and they show a picture of Dave Chappelle. Good on Dave Chappelle for calling out the nonsense, because in the story they highlight Olive Garden that was falsely targeted for supporting Donald Trump. What is going on with these people who are riled up into a mob and then go nuts for things that just isn't real. I will tell you this. Dave Chappelle was something we sorely needed, and that's why 99% of people agreed with it. Just a few days ago, I was part of an event called Minds in Real Life. Here's a story from Spectator USA, how a New Jersey brewery unwittingly became the latest culture war battleground. Sitting on the sidelines of online, online outrage is no longer an option. It's actually kind of scary. But this is why it's important that Dave Chappelle comes out and, and just shows people what's really happening. At this bar in uh, Pittman, New Jersey, not too far from my house, we were having an after party. We had booked a theater nearby. The theater canceled on us. We had a contract, but they broke the contract. So we'll see where that goes. Trust me, it's not over. We ended up holding the event in Philadelphia at the Sugar House Casino, and it was a smashing success, albeit with some hiccups caused by the theater, but we'll deal with it. Now, the after party was going to be at a small brewery. It was literally a group of progressives and, you know, mostly libertarians and centrists. That was the bulk of those, excuse me, who attended. But the activists across the street you see in this photo started lying. I don't know who here, but they started sending harassing phone calls to this brewery, accusing them of being all of the worst names in the book, saying the brewery themselves were, you know, fringe far right and all that other nonsense. The brewery had no idea what was going on. The police had to come out and shut down the road. Nearby, other businesses were worried about potential for violence. Now, here's the big problem. Okay, I'll tell you the big problem. There are many people in this town who actually watch my videos, and I spoke to them. And I was curious as to why they weren't going out and defending the event. And it's a shame, but I'll tell you why. Okay, uh, or I should say, in my, in my personal opinion, it's hard to know exactly why each individual refused to stand up for content they know and liked. But I think there's one really obvious reason. These people are threatening violence. They're telling you that you're, in, you're on the wrong side of history. And, and these people are hiding. How did Donald Trump win in 2016 when the media repeatedly said he wasn't going to? Well, take a look at Dave Chappelle's critical review so far. This is, this is a good example of how people really feel, but they're scared to speak up. The media comes out and says, Dave Chappelle's a loser. But the people say Dave Chappelle is a winner and it's what we want. So when the media comes out and says Donald Trump can't win, people hear that and they believe they're in the minority. So they don't speak up. Then the polls come out saying Trump is a loser and then Trump wins because when it comes down to it, they secretly vote Trump. And I'll tell you what, man, I've talked to some people you would never have believed really did vote Trump. It blew my mind. I met some people that I thought were going to be the hippiest of hippies and they were like, don't tell anybody. Well, in Pittman, Several people told me the same thing. Big fan, watch your videos. You know, I'm a big fan of these other speakers. And I said, why don't you come out and tell these people we don't to stop to leave us alone? They're scared. They're scared the activists will harass them and destroy their businesses because that's what they do. So when that, it's no surprise then that they try and go after someone like Dave Chappelle, but unfortunately it doesn't work. But I will tell you this. You want to talk about one of the biggest mistakes you can make? Listen, when it started with Gamergate, the media, in my opinion, actually kind of won that. 
They did. Take a look at the New York Times hiring people who are on one side of that cultural war, expanding their staff among the ideological left. The media is expanding this sphere of left-wing identitarians. They then bring on people critical of Gamergate and then prop up this narrative about Gamergate. Now, I'm not here to support or oppose anything in this fight. The point is the New York Times took a side. They hire of the belligerents in the Gamergate, you know, scandal, whatever you want to call it. They hire those people for a major media publication. Take a look at Vice. Really great example of how media is being infected by this cultist ideology. I worked for Vice in 2013 and 2014. And by the time I left, it was still kind of okay. But there was an article titled, This Horrifying App Will Show You Any Woman Without Her Clothes. And I pointed this out to a former Vice employee saying, this is how, this is proof you changed. What would the title of that article have been in 2011? It wouldn't have been this horrifying app. It would have been like, this awesome app will show you any woman without clothes on, right? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that shift happened. The media is increasingly being dominated by people who have no idea what any of us want, but they're telling us all this is mainstream culture. I'll tell you this, man, secret Trump supporters are going to come out in force come this election. And I know yesterday I made the joke about chicken sandwiches being a, being a huge issue, but I really do believe it. Take a look at this story. This is one of the latest updates from just a few weeks ago. San Antonio agrees to deliver records regarding Chick-fil-A ban from international airport decision. So my general understanding is that Chick-fil-A was banned um, from an airport. That's a public facility. They banned Chick-fil-A. Why? Because in 2012, a couple people made a donation to some religious group or something like that. Personally, don't care. People from organizations, from various organizations make various donations. How come no one is outraged that Google staff do the same thing? Oh, because they're on the left and the left is where the mob is at. You can't ban a business for their religious, for their behind the scenes religious practices. Look, Chick-fil-A didn't do anything. Of course, they're religious. They close on Sundays. I don't care. This is why I brought up the point about me going to Chick-fil-A and seeing a line of 20 cars wrapped around the building or more. It's probably more than that. And and I got to admit, it was a long wait. Shorter than I expected, but it was a long wait just to get a milkshake. The regular person and regular people in this country, they probably know about the controversy. It's been going on for years. We now see that, um, oh, this is the wrong story. We'll come to this one. KU facility wants Chick-fil-A banned from campus for fears of safety and mental well-being. A a university has a Chick-fil-A in the basement that is packed. Students go there. But the gender studies people want to shut it down. This is the perfect example of how the fringe far left is gaining too much power. And it's time we stood up and said enough. That was that was Trump in 2016. That was people saying enough because it was getting bad. But now we're to the point where they want to shut down a chicken restaurant. That's just selling chicken. It's just selling chicken, man. Here's a here's some really funny comments. I really want to highlight these comments from Reddit on on the story, which I believe was deemed controversial. They say, this, this commenter said, any adult whose safety and mental well-being is in danger due to the proximity of a Chick-fil-A probably needs professional help, and I question how they could handle the stresses of college. I completely agree. This one says, or you know, don't go and don't give them their money. This one says, quote, the culture of Chick-fil-A fosters hate and discrimination on multiple levels. The sexuality and gender diversity faculty and staff council wrote in a two-page letter accusing university leaders of being more concerned about money and corporate sponsorship than the physical, emotional, and mental well-being of marginalized and LGBTQ people. This person said, 
I refuse to believe this isn't satire. And someone responded, Chick-fil-A culture, what a time to be alive. (laughs) This is where we are. Now, interestingly, there's a really, really interesting point that I believe needs to be brought up. One of the people in this comment, in these comments mentioned this, University of Kansas maintains women's only lunchroom for Muslims. They, uh, so this is from the College Fix. They pointed this out. It says, quote, it is mainly used by Muslim women because it allows them a space to remove their hijabs and eat, said Abduli, uh, Abduli uh, Najai, sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, KU Student Senate Director of Diversity and Inclusion in an email to, uh, uh, to College Fix. The story's from January 2017. And I think it's actually, it's actually really great. There's a safe space for um, women who are Muslim who want to eat in peace and quiet. However, it implies that outside of the space, safe space, it's too dangerous for them to do that. And that's what they brought up in, that, uh, in this story. The point is, creating a space that is only for one gender, which is segregation, is being pushed by the left in this country, not the right. Now, there are fringe elements of the right that absolutely agree with this ideology because it's really, it's really full circle. But I truly believe that, you know, one of the biggest complaints I've had and, and what I've talked about is what I find scary about the modern left is that they believe for safety's sake, they have to start segregating people. They have to have, you know, special spaces for only one race or one gender. And the average person just doesn't care. The average person doesn't need a special place to eat. The average person understands that life isn't always safe that things are dangerous. And I think so long as we keep moving in this direction, they're going to keep growing and gaining power. As we've seen from Chick-fil-A to Dave Chappelle, regular people don't care about this. But here's the thing. I've experienced this firsthand. I got to say to those who are watching, who happen to be from the New Jersey area, I'm a bit disappointed. I am disappointed in the people of Pittman, New Jersey, of which there were many who are fans of mine who refused to stand up and call this out. When people lie to try and shut down a bar party, I kid you not, it was a bar party. Almost all the people were centrists and libertarians. We had some progressives, we had some socially liberal people and some, you know, uh, socially conservative people, but for the most part, centrist. And protesters showed up, the police had to come out, and it's because people won't stand up and say enough. We can see it. We can see it in the ratings. Thank you, Dave Chappelle. But to everyone else, it's about time you told people what you believe and why. It's about time you said, I am going to tell everyone who I voted for in 2016. Look, I'll I'll say it straight up. I didn't vote for Trump, but I laughed when he won. I have no problem saying that. I have no problem as a moderate standing up and saying, I don't care. You can't do anything to me. I just don't care. I get it, man. Some of these people have businesses. They don't want people to come and trash the place. They don't want to brick through the window. But so long as we don't stick up for what we actually care about and believe in, these people will keep gaining ground. They will keep getting those jobs in media. They will keep lying and they will keep everyone scared. This should be a really, this should be a red flag to everybody. Listen, when most people agree with Dave Chappelle, but the media critics, we can, this is a great window into the problem. Think about every other article you've read, all of the fake news and the media saying, don't trust the president. Well, look, I'm going to tell you this. I wouldn't trust any politician, but I especially wouldn't trust the media. And it's because people don't stand up. The media is controlling a narrative and make, making people live under their boot. It's not just the media. It's higher institutions and they're gaining ground. It was insane that a small town like Pittman with about 8,000 people, maybe, maybe 9,000, had to have their police come out and, and guard a bar 
because 60 or so people wanted to have some beers late at night on a Saturday. Isn't that nuts? And people actually showed up threatening the event. These people don't know anything about the event. Daryl Davis was the headline speaker, and he received a standing ovation. He's a man who de-radicalized Klan members. But this is what happens when we don't push back. The media lies, and then people believe those lies, and they come out. We know this is the case. We see the people who like their chicken sandwiches. We see the people who laugh at Dave Chappelle, but they're hiding. Well, it's about time you stopped. I get it, man. These people have kids. They have jobs. They don't want to ruin their lives. But so long as the individual is refusing to say, I've, I, I've had enough. I'm not going to take it anymore. What's, what's, what's the line? Um, I can't remember the exact line from that movie. Was it Newsroom or something? Where the guy says, um, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. It's about time people stood up and said that. Dave Chappelle was a good step in that direction. But it's not the end of it. The New York Times is increasingly hiring these people. Tell them to stop. There are so many people who don't like President Trump, but voted for him anyway, because they're sick and tired of this. They're sick and tired of a small town bar party being protested and threatened, of theaters being threatened. And people want to live freely. They want to laugh at a comedy special while eating a chicken sandwich. But you've got to say something. You can't just let these people run around doing this anymore. You know, there's a story I covered earlier today. A judge is refusing to dismiss cases against Antifa protesters. And maybe this is it. Maybe the tide might be turning and the, the, our institutions might be saying we've had enough of the insanity. Enough. I'm not going to back down. Following this event, okay, with a the theater breaking our contract within two weeks. Uh, again, I'll stress, I was just a sponsor, so it's, it's, I don't have any legal standing on the contract tech necessarily. You can't do that. And if you want to bend the knee to these fringe elements, then we're going to fight back. So expect it. I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. And I will see you all then. I don't work in the criminal justice system, but I have to say this story sounds weird, but I'm sure a lot of conservatives are going to be really, really happy or anybody who doesn't like Antifa, you know, me included. Judge upholds charges for straight pride parade protesters in court. But not just that. It's not just that a judge is saying these people are going to face justice. It's that the prosecutor tried to dismiss the charges. That's right. The police arrested these people for injuring officers and disorderly conduct. And the prosecutor, the state said the the police uh, affidavit statement doesn't provide probable cause for these arrests. We want to dismiss these charges. And the judge said, no, they will have a pretrial hearing and they will be held on between $250 and $750 uh, bond. The judge was like, no dice. They're getting locked up, period. So it's weird. I don't know. I, because uh, the defendant and the prosecution agreed that these people arrested on a disorderly would be released. But I have to wonder if the court system, if the legal system is finally getting fed up with Antifa. Look what happens in D.C., Hundreds of people mass arrested. Mind you, I was arrested in that crowd, but I was never uh, uh, um, processed. And a lot of people on the left try to say, Tim was never arrested. He's making it up. No, I was. I was told three times I was under arrest. And then the police removed me after they removed other members of the press with press passes. So yes, look up the definition. Anyway, the point is they tried charging Antifa with a conspiracy. They failed. They couldn't do it. There's a lot of reasons to be concerned about the government trying to arrest anyone, you know, and charge them with conspiracy simply for wearing a black hoodie. But you also have to realize these people are on the record saying they do this to avoid getting caught. Now you have a big problem. Can you wear 
a black hoodie and then accidentally get swept up in Antifa and get charged? I guess so. But here's what I really think. You know, outside of the DC, you know, Trump inauguration stuff, I wonder if this is the courts finally saying we cannot have a society with people running around in all black, getting into fights and beating people who have a permit and didn't do anything wrong. You dislike the straight pride parade. So what? I don't care. Grow up. It doesn't give you a right to go around bashing people. But the police are ecstatic. Not only are they happy here. Well, I shouldn't say ecstatic, but the police are very, very happy here. Right. So they're ecstatic about this. But the police have issued a statement in response to Ayanna Presley. Ayanna Presley, one of the squad members, was helping fundraise for these people. And the Boston police released a statement saying, please don't do this. These people injured cops. I've got a lot to go through today. And I I, got to be honest, I wanted to save this for the main channel. But guess what? We're going to be showing some violence, some some good old street violence. And therefore, it's going to get demonetized. So I'll say this before we get started. Head over to TimCast.com slash donate. If you'd like to support my work as a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address, the best thing you can do, excuse me, share this video to help overcome the de-ranking. YouTube de-ranks independent political commentary, favoring CNN and Fox News, etc. Here's the bigger issue, though. I'm going to show you a photo right now. Let me see. Um, I believe here we go. This is a photo from Berkeley of a journalist who was being uh, beaten by Antifa. You can see that he's got blood on his face. You can see that they're whacking, this woman is whacking him with some kind of monopod. I don't, I don't, it looks like a monopod for a camera. They said he lost his phone, his camera lens, and his notebook. They stole it from him. They beat him. Antifa does this. And it's kind of funny now that you have this story from Rolling Stone, how Andy No managed to get the mainstream media to follow his cause demonizing Antifa. Is that, is that a joke? They beat the crap out of the guy. It's like getting, you know, uh, Antifa un- beating you unprovoked to own the libs. <laughs> no, perhaps if they didn't just beat the guy and many other people, there wouldn't be concerned. There would be concern about these these lunatics running around in all black beating random people. But I'll tell you one thing. This dude should have defended himself. I don't know what he did, but like getting hit like that. I don't know what happened. I'm not going to uh, assume he did or didn't defend himself. But look at this. Whacking him with a club, man. So now you've got AOC and, and Ayanna Presley trying to raise money for this. Like, not, not, not this literally, like this figuratively. You know, these are what, this is what these people do. And that's who these Democrats are defending. You know, it's really funny. People have tried saying that Antifa is the militant wing of the Democratic Party. I always found it to be ridiculous. It's silly. Come on, man. These people hate Democrats. Antifa hate liberals as much as they hate conservatives. It's true. They write horrifying things about liberals. They don't consider themselves liberal. They are radical, authoritarians, and communists, etc. But people try to say that they're the militant wing of the Democratic Party. And like I said, that's just absurd. Until now. Because AOC and Ayanna Presley are fundraising for them. So uh, they're actively supporting them. Well, let's read what happened with this judge. uh, CBS Boston reports. Half of the 36 people arrested during Saturday's straight pride parade in Boston were arraigned at Boston Municipal Court Tuesday. The charges range from disorderly conduct to assault and battery on a police officer. Prosecutors from Suffolk County District Attorney Rachel Rowland's office attempted to get charges dismissed for any of the protesters charged with disorderly conduct who had no prior record. But each time, Justice Richard Sinnoh denied the request and scheduled a pretrial hearing for each defendant. Justice Sinnoh went against both the prosecution and defense's request, also ordering half a dozen people to be taken into custody and held on cash bail, bail ranging from $250 to $750. 
one man was held without bail. We couldn't be happier at the moment with a judge on that uh, with with a judge that's on the bench," said Larry Calderon, the vice president of the Boston P- Patrolmen's Association. We are here to make sure the DA prosecutes these offenders to the fullest extent of the law. There may have been a time where Antifa came in and the judge said, what did this person do? And they said it was disorderly conduct at a protest. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They were arrested. We get it. They've spent, you know, a, a, a day in jail, send them home. But the problems are getting worse. The problems are getting worse. And now it seems like a judge might be like, I don't care. We're going to throw the book at them. Does that mean they're going to be treated unfairly? No, it's going to be, it's going to mean that they're going to be treated within the confines of what the law actually allows. In the past, I'd imagine a lot of these Antifa, they, 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 they saw leniency from the court because the court's just like, yeah, 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 disorderly conduct, who cares? It seems like that's not what's happening today. I can't tell you why. They say Boston police say four officers are still out of work after being injured on Saturday. Many officers were assaulted throughout the day with bottles of urine being thrown at them, bottles of chemicals. The 36 people were arrested when a protest of the parade got chaotic. Some protesters said police used excessive, ex- used excessive force with them, while the head of the police union says the protesters came to, uh, to create havoc. They did. They do. And here's your proof. They do this all the time. So look, there are mask laws, but I don't know. I'm, 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 people have a right to protest, but they don't have a right to go around whacking people with clubs, throwing bottles of urine at people. So, uh, you know, trying to figure out where the line is is difficult. But I will say this because I've mentioned this before, if there will ever be fascism in this country, it's going to be brought by Antifa. You heard me. When Antifa goes around beating people, the, the, the what, 80% of regular America who doesn't pay attention to politics, it's something like that. It's like some 78% or something. They're going to be sitting there saying, why are there roving bands of masked individuals with weapons and bottles of urine? Please protect us. And they're going to vote for laws to embolden the government. I don't like that. I don't like the idea of a judge saying, you know what, you're getting the book thrown at you. But I also recognize these people won't stop unless something happens. And that is the dangerous conundrum. I will not personally tolerate police patrolling the streets, standing on street corners with floodlights because of this nonsense. And that's what happened at my, uh, the, the event I was a, a sponsor of just this past weekend. We, a, a bunch of us went to a bar to have some, uh, some beer. I don't drink, but the police had to secure the area because they were protesters who showed up threatening the event. That is not a a world I want to live in. If there will ever be a fascist state, it's because these people are beating regular people. It's because Antifa beats regular people and then they beg for security because they don't care. They don't. They don't want to protest. They say uh, 36 people were arrested when the protest of the parade got chaotic. Some protesters, they say they were like, oh, I read that already. However, Some protesters being arraigned spoke to WBZ and said they felt targeted by police. Multiple times I asked why I was arrested. He said, for calling me a pig, said Joshua Abrams before his arraignment. Well, that's my First Amendment right to do so. And I think you're a liar. I think you're a liar. This is the problem. And I'll show you this photo again. It was because he said I called him a pig. Don't believe you. Sorry. You're part of a roving band of lunatics that are going around beating people who dress like clowns. All right. When a straight pride parade happens and there's a dude dressed as a clown and a guy dressed as a frog and they're marching legally with no weapons and you show up and start violence, I'm going to go ahead and assume you're a liar. You see the problem here? You do have a right to call a cop a pig. I just don't believe you because you showed up to beat other citizens. You see the thing? The thing is, if you showed up to protest the government and the government hit you, I'd be like, well, we got a problem here, right? You didn't, though. 
You showed up to protest other Americans who are expressing their First Amendment rights. Why would we tolerate that? You have a right in this country to free speech. You don't have a right to show up and threaten people expressing their free speech. You are violating their rights, not under the First Amendment, right? The First Amendment stops the government. But everyone in this country has a right to freely, you know, go about their business. Now, it's really funny is they say it's not a violation of their free speech because I'm not the government. Um, no, it is a violation of their free speech. Regardless, you know why? First of all, I'm not talking about the First Amendment, but let's even let's even talk about the rights guaranteed under the First Amendment. What you did is illegal. There you go. Showing up and threatening people is illegal. It is a crime. Now, did these individuals threaten them, you know, on their own? No, but let me tell you this. If you're in a group of people, about 10, you all dress the same and you're wearing masks. You have a shared goal. And then one person yells a death threat or a threat of violence. Congratulations. You're an accomplice. See how that works? So no, I don't believe you that the cop arrested you for calling you a pig. And I will stress the point. I've witnessed police do things like this. I actually got a guy uh, acquitted. I shouldn't say, uh, I believe acquitted might be the right word. He was charged with obstructing a roadway or disorderly conduct in New York. The police claimed he was blocking the road when he wasn't. Well, I filmed it and the police lied when they arrested him. Now, this guy was a photographer. You see the difference. So when they arrested him and I had footage, I was like, yep, the cops lied. And the cops do lie. They do. Absolutely. Here's the thing, though. You say, so it's, it's, it's so convenient that you showed up to violently protest against Americans exercising their rights. And when a cop arrested you, he whispers in your ear, you called me a pig. Oh, please, dude. I just do not believe you. Sorry. I'll make the point one more time. You want to protest the government? Hey, I'll be right there with you. You want to protest the police force that's violent and brutal? You got me. I, I will be there. I will be there defending your rights. And I would not trust a government if the government starts claiming certain things were done because they're a subject of the protest. I get it. It's difficult. But when you show up to protest Americans who are unarmed and exercising their rights, you are the baddies. You get it? You see how that works? So apparently, um, District Attorney Rachel Rollins issued the following statement. By compelling arraignment in every case, the judge punished the exercise of the individual's First Amendment right to protest. I disagree. At my request, prosecutors use the discretion constitutionally allocated to the executive branch to triage cases and use our resources most effectively to protect public safety. Make no mistake, some people were appropriately arraigned and will be held accountable for actions that put the safety of the public and law enforcement at risk. For those people now tangled in the criminal justice system for exercising their right to free speech, many of whom had no prior criminal record, I will use the legal process to remedy the judge's overstepping of his role. I don't believe the judge overstepped, but far be it from me to tell you how, how the courts should act. I, I actually have to defer to the prosecutors themselves. Prosecutors, in my experience, tend to be very overzealous and want to get that win. I believe that upon looking at the evidence, the prosecutor probably realized these people probably shouldn't have been arrested. And it may have been something like yelling pig at a cop. I don't like I, in my experience, I don't see prosecutors as letting people go. They want that conviction. They want to they want to win. I think the judge is trying to make an example. We're going to jam you up. You want to get into these fights? You want to you want to protest American citizens walking down a street? They're going to jam you up. This is one of the big problems we have in our justice systems, to be honest, though, that getting arrested is the punishment, right? So you so you could be annoying a cop. He'll arrest you because he knows you won't get convicted. You'll be let go in a day, but they get you off the street right then. We, that, that is not uh, how our justice system is supposed to function, but it's what they do. So I got to stress, 
There are many circumstances I've witnessed where I, I wouldn't trust the police. But, my, but when, it, when it all comes down to it, when you see photos like this, when you see images like this of Andy No, let's let it load up real quick. When you see this image, you think I'm going to believe you, dude? You think I'm going to believe you after what you are joining in on? Absolutely not. Sorry, if you show up to join Antifa and then claim, oh no, heavens me, the police were unfair. Nice try, buddy. You know what you joined. So I'm not surprised the judge is going to throw the book at you because of photos like this and photos like this. Okay, so let me, let me tell you what. If you want to go out and protest peacefully, try not dressing up like that. Okay. Now, admittedly, if you want to protest, here's, here's the big challenge. If you, if you want to go protest and then you have Antifa show up, well, we're at, we have a problem now, right? Let, let, there's, there's probably a lot of people who are arrested who weren't wearing all black or anything like that. Look, they even ripped this guy's shirt. Isn't that crazy? Just chasing him and beating him. That's nuts. This guy's a journalist. This is the U.S. Uh, press freedom tracker. Antifa is the biggest threat to our freedoms as of right now. Um, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say biggest, but I, I will make this point. If I want to protest and then Antifa shows up, we are now in danger of them starting violence and discrediting everything we stand for. So you have to disavow. That's the best thing they can do. Well, they won't. I'll tell you what, you want, you want to go out and protest peacefully, you have a right to do so. You shouldn't be punished because these lunatics are showing up to your protest, but you need to disavow and they won't do it. The DSA has told me, okay, I was in Boston and they said, well, we respect a diversity of tactics. I said, these people are waving communist flags and they're swinging crowbars. What do you mean you're not going to, you're going to respect that? Okay, well, then you are an accomplice as far as I'm concerned, because you provide the crowd cover for these lunatics. Anyway, you get the point. I'll leave it there. We'll see what happens to these people. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all next time. Ilhan Omar's husband wants a divorce, according to the New York Post, because it was recently discovered, at least according to divorce papers, that she is having an affair with a political consultant. The drama continues. All the gossip that's fit in that, that all the gossip that's fit to put in a YouTube video because I don't write. Let's read the story, and I, I might have to give you some background on what's currently happening for those that are unfamiliar. Ilan Omar has has been seen with this guy Tim Minette. Minette's wife filed a, a divorce, claiming that he's having an affair with Ilan Omar, and now Omar is being accused of paying this guy money to travel around with her because she didn't itemize the expenses. So let me, let me unpack that for a second. When you hire somebody and you pay their expenses, you have to list the specific expenses, like this is a flight, this is a flight, this is a bus trip, this is a sandwich, this is a beer. You get it? She wasn't doing that. They were just bulk expensing like $12,000 packages at a time. So at the very least, she's being accused of improperly filing you know, uh, expense reports for her job, or I think it's for her campaign. I'm not entirely sure. The very, very worst, or that's the best case scenario. The very, very worst case scenario is she's flying around her boyfriend behind her husband's back. Well, according to the story, her husband is angry and he's demanding a divorce. Let's read the story from the New York Post. They report, Rep. Ilan Omar's marriage appears to be headed for the rocks. A longtime friend of the couple told the Post, the congresswoman's husband, Ahmed Hersey, the source said, is poised to file for divorce after the revelation in a bombshell court filing that she allegedly had an affair with DC political consultant Tim Minette. Now here's where everything's getting crazy. And I'm not going to report on this next bit because it's too crazy. And, and forgive me to the journalists working on the story. I'm not going to pull the sources just yet. We need more confirmation. But there are rumors circulating that in his anger, 
her husband said she did, in fact, marry her brother. So think about it this way. Whether or not it's true that the other guy she married was her brother, her current husband might use that as leverage against her. This is the, this is the stupidest. What is going on in 2019? We've got a real estate reality TV president, and we've got this woman accused of marrying her brother, refugee, who's now in a... How fun. At least you can't say it's boring. Let's read on. The Minnesota congresswoman and her husband allegedly separated in March, and Omar asked Hersey to divorce her around that time because she didn't want to file the papers. But Hersey refused, telling her if she wanted a divorce, she would do it herself, said the source, who who has known both parties for 20 years. The husband allegedly changed his mind after Tim Minette's wife last week filed bombshell divorce papers, claiming her spouse was having an affair with a Somali-born U.S. representative. With Hersey said to be angry, he had been made to look the fool by the allegations of an extramarital affair. woo Yeah, well, people are calling him a cuck, right? I mean, that's a common thing you hear from on, on the right, but I don't think someone like, you know, Hersey would like being called that, in which case it sounds like it, it makes sense. I'm surprised he hasn't filed already, the source told the Post, adding that Hersey was very confused in the wake of the bombshell allegations, but still loved his wife and was reluctant to expose their three children to a public divorce battle. So maybe, so why did she want the divorce, right? It, it maybe sounds like he didn't know why she wanted the divorce, and so he was refusing. But now that he's learning there may be an affair going on, he's humiliated. The freshman congresswoman, 37, insisted she and her C-39 were still together and denied the charge she was dating Minette in an interview with CBS affiliate WCCO on the day of the uh, August 27th report. But the pair have been living apart since March, around the same time she was spotted having dinner with Minette at a California restaurant, with Omar moving into a luxury condo in downtown Minneapolis, and their split an open secret in town, the source said. The family home they shared in the Cedar Riverside neighborhood, nicknamed Little Mogadishu for its large Somali population, appears to be abandoned, with the curtains drawn and cobwebs growing over the front porch when a Post reporter visited last week. Oh, the gossip is so juicy. Spiderwebs growing because no one's in the house. Secret affairs around town. Oh, how silly. It's like like a TV drama. Hersey, a senior policy aide to a Minneapolis city councilman, is reportedly bouncing between friends' houses and stays at the luxury condo when Omar isn't in town, with the kids also spending time with a grandfather, the source said. Now, why wouldn't he just stay at that house? That's confusing. Omar and Hersey were first engaged in 2002, but the duo never legally married. Instead, they wed in a traditional Muslim ceremony and had two children before splitting up in 2008, Omar has said. Now, I have to question this because with no legal records, how do we confirm they actually were wed in a ceremony and not just, you know, it it may be that she's saying that for, you know, saving face in the public and she maybe was just living with a dude she didn't marry, had kids with. The next year, she married Ahmed Nur Said Elmi, who she described as a British citizen records show. They split up in 2011 and Omar and Hersey got back together and had a third child in 2012 records show. So I also want to stress, she never had a kid with that, that new husband. When did they actually, so, so they got, they were married for years and never had a kid. This is, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because of the allegations that this guy's actually her brother. And now we have, uh, I believe it's Powerline blog reporting that a source is saying Hersey is angry and confirming that it's actually her brother. But I will stress one point that's never really brought up. Look, I, I, we need hard confirmation before I want to report on any of that stuff. 
but it is looking weird to say the least. But she was married to someone for three years. She didn't have a kid, but she had several kids with her other husband. I just, it's an idea. If she knew this guy was really her brother, of course, she's not going to have kids with him over three years. Is that what it is? Around three years? In 2017, Omar finally officially divorced Elmi. Oh, okay. Never mind. They were together for a lot longer than that, but they say they split up in 2011. So she legally wed Hersey the next year, but they began experiencing marital problems shortly after Omar assumed office, said the source. Hersey was said to be unhappy with his wife's constant travel as a member of, quote, the squad, a group of far left-leaning female freshman house members, leaving him the primary caregiver to three children aged between seven and 16. In April, Hersey shared happy photos of a family vacation in Miami on social media, Omar notably absent, captioning the snaps with cryptic messages about new beginnings. Ooh, interesting. Juicy drama. Nothing brings about more positive change than difficulties, he captioned one family photo. Meanwhile, public documents obtained by the Post raised discrepancies in the timeline of Omar's marriages to Hersey and Elmi. Documents suggest Omar never stopped living with Hersey, even after they ended their religious marriage, and she was legally married to Elmi. In February 2009, when Omar legally... Okay, you know what? Hold on. I gotta stop here. At this point, okay, you'd think there'd be an investigation by the authorities. Okay, look, you know, I know Trump has brought it up. Someone asked him if he thought about it, and he said, ah, the people have been talking about it. And then everyone ragged on Trump for it. But listen, she lived together with the husband she allegedly divorced and her new husband. How does that make sense? Okay, maybe, maybe they're very liberal, you know, they're very progressive, and they're having a nice, friendly divorce. Okay, that's fine. But then, when the rumors start circulating about her having another affair, he wants a divorce, that's a stark contrast to what previously happened when he lived together with the guy she married. I just gotta say, I don't believe, I, I'm, look, I think the simple solution at this point is that she's, she's marrying people for benefits or... The simple solution, the simple solution is that something doesn't make sense, that the official explanation is too complicated for it to be legitimate. If they're now going to face a divorce, maybe it's because her husband said, you know, hey, we won't ever do this again. You have to promise me. And then she broke her promise. So maybe now he's like, okay, I'm done. But I kind of don't understand why he would live together with her new husband. It seems kind of weird. Maybe he just claimed that address and wasn't really living there. They say, just three months later, Hersey used the same Columbia Heights property as his personal address on business filings for his one-on-one cafe lounge. It could be that he never changed his ID and it was a lot easier to do that. That's, that's actually kind of normal. But I believe that might still be illegal if he's starting a business and using an address he doesn't live at. Omar and Hersey moved to North Dakota together with their two children, according to a 2013 article in Twin Cities Daily Planet, even though she was supposed to be uh, estranged from Hersey and married to Elmi. What? That's so weird. That's so weird. In traffic violations from 2008 to 2012, the entire time Omar was married to Elmi, the congresswoman and Hersey also listed their address as the family home in Cedar Riverside, suggested they, suggesting they never stopped living together. Could it be that she never officially married this guy? So when her brother, who you know lived in the UK, needed to come to the US to expedite entry, she married him and was still living with her actual husband? Could that be the case? Could, I, I don't, don't like entertaining conspiracies, but I got to admit, anybody who doesn't see something fishy here is lying, plain, plain and simple. In divorce papers asking to dissolve their marriage by alternate means in 2017, Omar swore under penalty of perjury. She had no means of contacting Elmi, and his last known location was London in June 2011. But lease and eviction records suggest Elmi was in the U.S. the whole time, living just 2.6 miles away from her apartment in downtown Minneapolis. 
Did she lie under oath? How is it? Listen, man, I understand when the story first emerged, people dismissed it. That makes sense. But at this point, you'd think there'd be a federal investigation into this. With her, she has been fined for improper use of campaign funds. Now she has this guy she's having an affair with. Come on, man. They say the congresswoman has refused to comment on all this. We get it. Tim Minette, the guy she's supposedly having the affair with, received $230,000 from her campaign for travel expenses, which wasn't itemized, a possible ethics violation. Minette denied the bombshell affair allegations in a counterclaim filed in D.C. Superior Court, accusing his wife of waging a campaign to ruin his career after he left their unhappy marriage, but was flying around with Omar. If he left her marriage, and he admits it, and he's flying around with unitemized expenses, so we don't know what he's spending money on, don't be surprised if people believe your wife who wants a divorce, right? I, I you know, I, I normally don't care to comment on all the gossipy stuff, but Powerline blog is saying that there's a source confirming Ursi or, 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 or Elmed, uh, was, was it El, uh, Ahmed? Her, uh, no, 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 uh, Elmi, Elmi. I mixed their names up. He, uh, Powerline blog is saying they have a source confirming that they're brother and sister. So Powerline blog is not yet rated by NewsGuard. I don't want to entertain anything without a hard confirmation. And I'm sorry, one source for me isn't enough. But we do have this very weird, circuitous, dramatic story and all the gossip. It's very, it's very strange to say the least. And I think, look, with her past campaign violation and now unitemized expenses with this guy's accused of being her lover by more than one person, well, I think it's about time for that investigation. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. It is a different channel, and I will see you all there. Did you know that San Francisco is covered in poop? I'm, I'm not joking. I'm not necessarily trying to be mean, but yeah, San Francisco has got a poop problem. They actually have a group called the Poop Patrol. San Francisco, you have way worse problems than whether or not the NRA is a, quote, dom- domestic terrorist organization. But there's the story. San Francisco officials brand NRA a domestic terrorist organization. Well, first, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The NRA, for all, whatever you want to criticize it for, it's just, this is some of the stupidest political nonsense ever. San Francisco has serious problems with poverty, homelessness, that California recently voted to give non-citizens healthcare to to expand government programs for non-citizens. And you've got You've got a lot of crime, okay? You've got drug abuse, and this is what you spend your time doing. The National Rifle Association is funded by people to advocate on their behalf. It's American citizens who believe in the right to own and bear firearms. This is a waste of time. I don't even, you know, I'm, 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 I think it's really even dumb to talk about, but I guess we will. Fox News reports. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors has passed a resolution declaring the National Rifle Association a domestic terrorist organization, but not Antifa, who, who plagues, you know, Berkeley, and urged the federal government to do the same. They don't. The latest escalation in the heated, heated rhetoric from Democrats regarding the NRA in the wake of several deadly mass shootings. The resolution, which passed Tuesday and says the U.S. is plagued by an epidemic of gun violence, accuses the NRA of using its considerable wealth and organizational strength to promote gun ownership and incite gun owners to acts of violence. I could be wrong about this. I am not somebody, I'm not a member of the NRA, never been a big gun person. I'm pretty sure there hasn't been any NRA member who's committed a mass shooting. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. That's my general understanding. So why are they trying to claim that the NRA is trying to incite violence? It is the most annoying thing ever. I'll tell you what, you want to annoy me? When the left comes out and says everything is incitement to violence, 
I just get, it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's like, shut up, you whiny babies, dude. No one is advocating any kind of violence. You're just a lunatic who needs to shut up. It's the most frustrating thing ever. Plagued by an epidemic. More people die from eating peanuts. I could be wrong about that too. Look, again, not a gun person. It's just, is this what you're going to be talking about instead of cleaning up your poop problem? They say all countries have violent and hateful people, but only in America do we give them ready access to assault weapons. Yes, assault weapon includes a handgun. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. And large capacity magazine, thanks in large part to the National Rifle Association's influence. You know, and again, I'm pretty sure law-abiding gun owners don't commit crimes with their weapons. It's criminals who do. Let's read on, but because I'm talking about guns, I got to tell you what, go to timcast.com slash donate if you want to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address, but unfortunately, talking about guns means hard D rank on YouTube. I don't know about Facebook. My videos are starting to pop up on Facebook. We'll see what happens, but I can tell you simply by talking about this, I'm going to get demonetized and deranked. So if you think this issue is important and you think the left is increasingly losing its goddamn mind, then please consider sharing this video or supporting me through PayPal. Because how insane is it that we live in a country that has a second amendment and the National Rifle Association, for all, we can criticize them for sure, but they're not terrorists, dude. They're, they're advocating for the constitution. The left is going nuts. Okay, man, let's read on. The document resolves to assess the relationship that those who do business with the city have with the group and says the city and county of San Francisco should take every reasonable step to limit those entities who do business with the city and country of county of San Francisco from doing business with this domestic terrorist organization. Oh, man. Okay, California, I heard that you guys want to declare independence, like secede from the union. I'm all for it. I am all for it if that's the case. There's been murmurs that California wants to leave the union, and I think we should just say, you know what? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna cut our losses on this one. You do you, California. This is complete insanity. This is the leadership of, of San Francisco. The resolution cites the July mass shooting at the Gilroy Garlic Festival in which three people were killed. KTVU reports the resolution's author wrote the text after the shooting. The NRA responded by calling the resolution a stunt that was distracting from the city's myriad of social problems, like the poop problem. They have poop all over the streets. The ludicrous stunt by the Board of Supervisors is an effort to distract from the real problems facing San Francisco, such as rampant homelessness, drug abuse, and skyrocketing petty crime, to name a few. The statement said, according to KTVU, the NRA will continue working to protect the constitutional rights of all freedom-loving Americans. The measure comes as Democrats across the country are ramping up calls to crack down on gun ownership in response to deadly mass shootings in Dayton, Ohio and Western Texas. Well, Dayton, Ohio was an avowed uh, uh, Antifa supporter and somebody who wanted socialism. The problem is, in my opinion, not guns, because with a country that has, what, 400 million guns, we have actually relatively few mass shootings. Here's here's something that I think, you know, would be interesting, because, again, maybe I'm wrong about that. But I'd be interested to see not the per capita mass shootings, right? A lot of people like to look at countries in Europe and say, how many people per 100,000 commit a mass shooting? Okay, I understand America has more access to guns, but let's do this. How many guns per capita relative to shootings per capita? That to me would be interesting. I think you'd find it's probably low. With 400 million million guns, I believe, and the overwhelming majority of legal gun owners committing no crimes, I think you'd find that for the United States, in terms of legal weapons— you'll find very, very few. Because take a look at this with Australia and Europe. Guns are actually, for the most part, really difficult to get. Australia did this massive buyback program, and they recently had a mass shooting. So 
how many legal guns exist in Australia? Now, I, I, I think you can get legal guns in Australia. Don't get me wrong. This is really difficult. I know it's a lot of places in the US, it's insanely difficult to get a gun, especially a blue state. Seriously. Although you'd, you'd think like Maine, you know, Vermont, oh, Maine's actually really easy. So I take that back. Maine's really easy and Vermont and things are like pretty lax because they're, you know, sparsely populated. But I guess the, the, the point I'm trying to make here is we have a lot of guns in this country and we do have a lot of shootings like Chicago. But in Chicago, it's really difficult to get a gun. I think if you took every gun owner, every gun, and compared the amount of guns in the country to per capita shootings, it would be ridiculously low relative to a lot of these other countries. And that's an important metric when we're talking about mental health issues, violent crime, or gun ownership. I think the reality is legal gun ownership has almost no, no correlation to a lot of these mass shootings. A small one, probably. But we, we keep hearing stories like in Texas, that the Odessa shooting, the guy had, uh, was, was supposed to have been stopped. The red flags didn't stop him. You have a lot of stories of people who illegally obtain guns and commit shootings, and that's most of them. Chicago, for instance, tons of illegal guns. So let's do this. Legal gun ownership to mass shootings per capita. And you'll probably find this is a waste of time and a stupid argument. They say, uh, did I mention this? Okay. The measure comes as Democrats across the country are ramping up calls to crack down on gun ownership, even though most Americans disagree. In response to deadly mass shootings in Dayton, Ohio and Western Texas, some presidential candidates have proposed mandatory buyback programs, notably Beto O'Rourke, who bluntly told reporters that would be the plan. Yes, he literally wants to confiscate your guns. And you know why this is alarming? Because he's like, if you got an AR-15 and an AK-47, we're going to buy them back. Mandatory. It's like, uh, okay, well, what about literally every other gun that functions in the exact same way as both of these guns? They have no idea what they're talking about. I tell you what, man, they're going to lose support in blue states. Bernie Sanders knows this from Vermont, a state where you got it's a blue state, but people like guns. And that's why Bernie in 2016 said it's an urban versus rural issue. He's right. Uh, Vermont, very rural, but still blue. It's nothing to do with left or right necessarily, although it is mostly the people on the left who have no idea what they're talking about, can't answer simple questions, and then want to ban literally every gun. Okay, figuratively, most guns, literally most guns, not every gun. I was being figurative. The point is, these assault weapons bans, they make people imagine there's people like there's there's Americans walking around with full auto rifles like it's not true. I want to be really clear. That's exactly what we're going to do. O'Rourke said Americans who owe AR-15s, AK-47s will have to sell them to the government. Great. You know what that means? If you own an AR-15, go out and buy literally any of the other guns that functions the exact same and uses many of the same parts or put a wooden stock on it because apparently they don't know the difference. They have no idea what they're talking about. Then they say they want to ban fully semi-automatic guns. I kid you not. Fully semi-automatic. These people don't know what words mean. Republicans, however, noted that gun violence is still rampant in major cities like Chicago that have strict gun laws in place. Gun control doesn't work. Look at Chicago. Disarming law-abiding citizens isn't the answer, Senator Ted Cruz said. And I'd like to now talk about drugs because banning them isn't the answer anyway. You know what? I'm, 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 I'm a little lefty, but I'm on the libertarian spectrum here, man. I think the government cannot restrict these things. You can't do it. The, the cat's out of the bag. With, with almost every drug, with guns, every single time they try to prohibit something, it doesn't work. So let's make that point. The, you have the pro, uh, pro-choice people saying, if you ban abortions, people will just get them illegally. Yup, and they'll get guns the same way. How about we just make it legal then? It's a really, really complicated... Look, man, the moral, the moral dilemma on the choice stuff is much more difficult, admittedly, than like owning guns. Because I know people who own a ton of guns never committed a crime in their lives. Maybe like jaywalking. So, so let, me, let me point this out. I'm going to end how I started. San Francisco officials brand NRA a terrorist organization. Okay, but not Antifa? 
You kidding me? People in Berkeley have to put signs in their window out of fear of someone coming and destroying their business. These people are nuts. And there is poop all over their streets. Who would want to live there? Man, there's poop everywhere. Stick around. Next video will be coming up. Uh, Next segment will be in a few minutes. I do try to keep these ones shorter, so I will see you shortly. Take a look at this picture on your screen. For those that are listening, I will describe it. It's a man shouting with a strange look on his face. One of his eyes is squinted shut, and his other hand is (laughs) under his belt, and he's yelling something I don't know what. But I do know he was heckling guests of the White House. Now, should this man be allowed at the White House? I think the answer is actually yes. But should he get some kind of punishment for his poor and unprofessional behavior? I think the answer is also yes. And that's what happened. The White House suspended Brian Karam's press pass after he was heckling guests and got into it with Sebastian Gorka. He sued. And here's the latest update. The courts have ruled in his favor and he must get his press pass back. Yes. See, one month ago, he lost his press pass on a 30-day suspension. And about a month later, he wins. Uh, Wait, what? How stupid is this story? How stupid is everybody? Okay, dude, listen, don't go to the White House and yell at people. However, there there is, I I said this in the video I covered uh, about this the other day, that he he might win because the courts are going to say it's a public institution, the White House, and you need to give people rules. Well, look, the, the, the White House has just not been doing press briefings because of this. You see what you do? These people are so annoying. Brian Karam wants to show up and act like a dick. Great. Now the president doesn't do press briefings anymore because of people like you and Jim Acosta. So congratulations, you've won. Now, now you've ruined the party for everybody. Not like I really care because I don't trust the press briefings anyway. And I'll stress, if you believe that Trump's people are coming out and giving you the gosh darn truth, it's a waste of time. It's the press doing their stupid, you know, I'm going to avoid adult language here, but, you know, patting each other on the back asking nonstical questions while Jim Acosta stands up and hoots and hollers like a, like a moron. And then Trump, you know, Trump's press secretary just gives them the PR line. It's a waste of everyone's time. And you know what? I don't know what the right answer is because not having press briefings is kind of alarming. You know, we should be able to talk to the, the administration at the same time. Like I trust anyone involved in this process. It's no secret. I don't trust the White House and I don't trust people like him either. So what a stupid, stupid story. One of the most frustrating things to me in the world is that everything is a lie. Every statement, all the press, it's a lie to keep secrets, to save face. Yeah, I'm just sick of it, man. There's nothing like what's real in this world anymore. I guess that's why a lot of people do like Trump, because he seems to be speaking, you know, off the cuff and just kind of blurts things out. You know, people, there was the joke that um, Bernie Sanders said something like, if he becomes president, he'll tell us about aliens. It's like, oh, please, Bernie. If they were aliens, Trump wouldn't stop talking about them. The guy can't keep his mouth shut. In fact, The Intercept called Trump the most honest president we've ever had. Now, here's what I mean by I don't believe them. When the PR people come out at the press event, yeah, of course, they're not going to tell us the truth. But Trump, when he walks up to a camera and just blurts out like, you know, we're going to do this weapons deal with Saudi Arabia because it's going to be great for the economy. Everybody let out a collective gasp like, <gasps> did the president just admit we sell weapons to Saudi Arabia for their, for their war with Yemen so that we can bolster our economy? Normally, they have to, like, you know, dance on empty platitudes of security and safety and all this other nonsense. Now, Trump just comes out and says it. So I get it. People like it. The world is a big fake pile of crap. But uh, here's the thing. When it comes to the press secretary and these canned responses, I just don't care. So look, the guy got his press pass suspended for 30 days. Who cares, man? You're going to get your press press pass back. Well, they filed a lawsuit because I guess for them it's more about winning. And then he wins. 
And about a month later, he gets his press pass back, which he would have gotten back anyway. Ah, oh, everything's stupid. Okay, let's, let's read this. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate. If you would like to support my work, there's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But the best thing you can do is share this video because apparently people need to hear about how stupid CNN is or whatever, man. These stories are just so dumb. But let's read. A judge has blocked the White House's decision to revoke the press pass of Playboy correspondent Brian Karam over a Rose Garden showdown in July with former White House aide Sebastian Gorka. U.S. District Court Judge Rudolph Contreras issued a decision Tuesday evening granting a preliminary injunction restoring Karam's so-called hard pass on the grounds the reporter had no clear notice of the rules governing press behavior at events like the presidential appearance that preceded the heated exchange. In imposing a 30-day suspension last month, White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham and, uh, said Karam's behavior had violated widely accepted standards of professionalism. That's true. Even Brian Stelter said it. Come on. And decorum. She also argued that the White House made those standards clear last November following an incident involving an effort by CNN reporter Jim Acosta to hang on to a microphone as a press aide sought to take it away. However, Contreras said a four-decade-old federal appeals court precedent regarding White House press credentials requires that such rules be clear and that they, they be laid out in advance. He said it wasn't clear that Grisham's letter about Acosta applied at events other than formal press conferences. Oh, are you kidding me, dude? Nor was it evident how one would apply the vague principles Grisham touted. White House events appear to vary greatly in character. Thus, without any contextual guideposts, professionalism standing alone remains too murky to provide fair notice here. Contreras wrote in a 24-page opinion. Wow, he had to write a 24-page opinion on this. I would not want to be a judge. I would just talk at a camera. What is deemed professional behavior in the context of a state dinner may be very different from what is considered professional behavior during a performance by James Brown. I'd have to stress, Your Honor, I think yelling a veiled threat to a guest of the White House violates professionalism, wouldn't you? And it almost violates the law. Contreras also noted that the event, presidential remarks to a group of attendees at a summit of social media influencers, supportive of President Donald Trump, excuse me, I was there. And no, I don't consider myself at least to be a general supporter of the president. In fact, I typically say bad things about him. While I can, like, I hate getting into this. I can recognize some things he does are good. It's fine. I'm not an idiot. I mostly don't like the guy in general. And policy aside, I would prefer someone else. So please get your facts straight. I will be that token attendee of the Trump event that didn't like the guy. I'll admit he's funny. Okay, he's his self. Listen, I understand the president is funny. I understand some of his policies worked, and I lean towards not liking him for a lot of other reasons. I've talked about a lot foreign policy, drone strikes, missile strikes. Look, we can go into it all day and night. I'm not going to play that game, but this is what they try to do, and that's why you saw that. So I, I talked about this before. Vice labeled me left wing when I praised Tulsi Gabbard, and right wing when I go to his rally. Why? Because they cannot have the narrative that Trump invited like liberals or non-conservatives to his event. There were other people there who weren't supporters of the president. It was mostly supporters. Fine. But come on, let's not play this stupid game. The event was, was also one where jocular insults had been flying from all directions, the judge wrote. There is no indication in the record that the other offenders were reprimanded or even told to stop. Right. Because guests are different from press who are there to tell people what's happening. Trump's guests can be boorish as well as, as, as he can. Taking into account all the evidence in the present record, the court cannot conclude that Karam's behavior was clearly prescribed by the Acosta letter standard, or even by any widely understood standard of professionalism, 
or decorum within the context of any such unruly event. The judge stressed that his ruling is not a final one on Karam's suit, and that while his credential will be restored for now, it is possible the 30-day suspension could be upheld in the future. Okay, yeah, 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 I get it. But let's look at this. We have a statement now from the press secretary, Oliver Darcy reports. Statement from press rec, we, we disagree with the decision. They're saying, we disagree with the decision of the district court to issue an injunction that essentially gives free reign to members of the press to engage in unprofessional, disruptive conduct at the White House. Mr. Karam's conduct, including threatening to escalate a verbal confrontation into a physical one to the point that a Secret Service agent intervened, clearly breached well-understood norms of professional conduct. The press secretary must have the ability to deter such unacceptable <clears throat> excuse me, conduct. And I agree. It's not an instance of Karam just being a, a mean person. It's an instance of him telling a guest, let's take it outside. To what? Go commit an illegal action? If you go outside the White House and punch somebody, you'll be arrested. So in what way is that professional? uh, Darcy says, also for what it's worth, ask if the White House will continue to pursue its legal battle against Karam. DOJ could appeal or press lawsuit in current court. Press Act declined to comment. He said, speaking now to Brian Karam about his victory against the White House, quote, it's good for me, but it's great for the free press, Karam said. Today was, uh, was about all of us. Karam added that he will be at the White House first thing tomorrow morning. WH, the White House Correspondent Association President John Carl says the organization is gratified by, by the decision. But as it end, as we have said repeatedly, we believe everyone should conduct themselves professionally at the White House. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I have no sympathy for you, the White House Press, uh, the White House Correspondent Association or Karam. He, ex- he escalated a verbal confrontation into a threat of a physical one that is unacceptable. You, like these groups of people, these journalists, I'll put air quotes, are clearly at odds with the general public. And this is the game they keep playing. There is a clear media divide. That was the main segment on my main channel today, that the media slams Dave Chappelle when the audience supports it. No one, okay, in the general population would agree this guy was acting professionally. He's just a whiny weirdo who is angry that his industry is dying. So he starts heckling back at the White House, who who I'll admit shouldn't have been heckling in the first place. But listen, if you're an independent guest of the White House and you act like an idiot, well, that's on you as an individual. Brian Karam parading around, this is for all of the press. No, you make everybody look bad. And I'm sure other journalists don't like you because I'll tell you this, they all don't like Acosta. Let me, let me not be hyperbolic. Most journalists because I know these people really, really don't like the guy. And you're on that list too, as snooty elitists who think you're above everyone else. So you know what, man? Uh, You reap what you sow. There's no press briefings. Who cares? You're a jerk. So are the people who are yelling, heckling, but you are no different than them. And that is why your industry is in decay, because you are not professionals. You're whiny losers who can't stop complaining about, oh, it's not fair. Don't yell at me. You know what, man? I can't stand these people. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I'll see you all shortly. I've always been a big fan of Whoopi Goldberg's acting in Star Trek, and in general, just big fan of Star Trek in general. But she is admittedly a pretty far lefty when it comes to a lot of issues, so I have to say, I was greatly, I was glad to see this. For those that aren't familiar with what's going on, Eric McCormick and Deborah Messing recently said that they wanted a list of Trump supporters, so they never work with them again. Here's a tweet, Eric McCormick. Hey, The Hollywood Reporter, kindly report on everyone attending this event so the rest of us can be clear about who we don't want to work with. And specifically, a tweet from Deborah Messing saying she wanted a list of people or something like that. Well, Whoopi Goldberg, standing on principle and understanding history, said, listen, 
The last time people did this, people ended up killing themselves. And she was referring to Joseph McCarthy's Hollywood blacklist of the 1950s. Here's the story. Whoopi Goldberg goes off on Deborah Messing. You don't have the right. Bravo, Whoopi. Big fan. Appreciate it. I once saw Whoopi because I worked at ABC News and I was really excited, but I didn't want to bother her. But I love Star Trek and Guinan was a great character. Whoopi Goldberg is not impressed with actress Deborah Messing's call to out the attendees of an upcoming Trump fundraiser in Beverly Hills. Quote, please print a list of all attendees, please. <laughs> Learn to write. The Will and Grace star tweeted at the Hollywood Reporter over the Hollywood weekend. Holiday, holiday weekend. The public has a right to know. After The View co-host jo- Joy Behar joked during Tuesday's season premiere that instead of a blacklist, they should call it a whitelist, Goldberg turned serious. Listen, the last time people did this, people ended up killing themselves. That's, this is not a good idea, okay? As Meghan McCain nodded in agreement. Your idea of who you don't want to work with is your personal business. Do not encourage people to print out lists because the next, the next list that comes out, your name will be on and then people will be coming after you. Here, here. We had something called the blacklist, and a lot of really good people were accused of stuff, she continued. Nobody cared whether it was true or not. They were accused, and that's what's happening all day, every day. Can I just shout out to the story I did in in, in my main event, my main segment, where I talked about these insane activists accusing a small town brewery of being Nazis? It's insane. Stop. These people are nuts. And for everybody else, stand up to the lunatics, please. She says, They were accused and they lost their right to work. You don't have that right. In this country, people can vote for who they want to. That is one of the great rights of this country. As the uproar over both the Hollywood fundraiser and Messing's tweets raged, President Donald Trump himself jumped into the fray, claiming in a tweet that when both he and the actress worked at NBC, she came up to him at an event, profusely thanked me, even calling me sir, and adding, how times have changed. You don't have to like it, but we don't go after people we don't like who they voted for because we don't like who they voted for, Goldberg added. We don't go after them that way. We can talk about issues and stuff, but we don't print out lists. Speaking to Messing and her Will and Grace co-star, Eric McCormick, who joined her in her call to print the list, Goldberg said, I'm sure you guys misspoke when you said that because it sounded like a good idea. Think about it. Read about it. Remember what the blacklist actually meant to people and don't encourage anyone, anyone to do it. I'll tell you what, man. You know what happens? as we continue down this path, because regardless of what Whoopi Goldberg says, it's going to keep happening. All right. And I want to make sure I highlight this story. I talked about it in my main segment, but this was a small town bar who was accused of being Nazis simply because they booked an event. And these people showed up. Many of them were chanting things and threatening to throw things. The police had to intervene. Do we want a world where there are businesses only for one side or the other? Well, it's happening. For the longest time, we've seen movies that are only for conservatives. Because the establishment is safeguarding the, the, the left. Well, the left has gone nuts. They have. I'm sorry. It's absolutely true. The media is continually, you know, you know what it is? It's a really good example. Rotten Tomatoes receives complaints that too many of the critics are white men. So they bring in a bunch of marginalized groups. What they really do is they bring in these far left ideologues. Then we see the overwhelming disparity between what people actually like and what the media is telling them they should like. You then get, you get people like this, weak-willed individuals like Aaron, Eric McCormick. And I really do want to stress weak-willed. He doesn't know or care about any of this. All he knows is he's going to do whatever the mob tells him to do. So he's virtue signaling. Does Eric McCormick know about politics? I'd be willing to bet he doesn't. And I, and I, and I mean that sincerely. Look at these people. 
These people who were, who were coming out to protest in Pittman had no idea who anyone was. A small group maybe did, but they want to push that new McCarthyism of calling everyone a Nazi. And then you get people like Eric McCormick, who don't know anything, who just pick up a pitchfork and giggle along like morons. I'll tell you what, dude, I hate, I hate insulting people and bang, being mean, but this is the, the epitome of weak-willed, okay? How about you go read a book? How about you read the news for yourself and stop chasing after people and mind your own business? Good on Whoopi Goldberg for calling these people out. But you want to know what was really the, cra- like the craziest thing I've seen about this? Fox and Friends. Fox and Friends cheering Whoopi Goldberg's condemnation of listing Trump supporters. She is absolutely right. This is good news. When The View and Fox and Friends agree, that's unity. That's unity right there. That, that is amazing. You know why? These fringe wackos on the far left who are corrupting our politics, who are in- infiltrating media and are trying to pretend like what they believe is held by the majority of people are wrong. And right now we have a consensus between The View and Fox and Friends. Good. The moderate base is starting to take back some ground here. You know, I'm, I'm a moderate, right? I, I've typically, you know, supported Democrats. These far left crazy people are disrupting everything and causing problems. And it's mostly because moderates won't stand up and push back. Liberals and Democrats are just sitting there saying, I don't know. I don't know. Leave me out of it. I don't want to fight. Well, now we see someone like Whoopi Goldberg standing up. Good. It's about time people pushed back. Dave Chappelle is no conservative. And he pushed back harder than anyone you'd imagine could have. Actually, Dave Chappelle might be conservative. I think based on his his stand-up, he's probably much more moderate. He's probably in a similar space to me. Dave Chappelle telling jokes that are offensive to white people. I get it. I'm for social justice, but I oppose the outrage culture authoritarianism. Dave Chappelle, I'd imagine, is probably in a similar space. He's not a conservative. He's a moderate kind of dude. He understands why guns are important for self-defense. It could all just be jokes. I don't want to act like everything he said was serious. But you can tell from his demeanor, he's willing to offend. He's willing to be funny and tell these people to buzz off. So Mediaite reports, Fox and Friends gave Whoopi Goldberg props for opposing the idea of publicly naming everyone who will attend a fundraiser for Donald Trump. When The View returned, we, we know this part, from there, uh, well, so we have Steve Ducey saying she's right. Brian Kilmeade mused about conservative actors who might appear at the fundraiser, but are worried about being boycotted for their politics. Some people out there would go, I don't want, I don't want someone who is going to be too politically oriented. I'm not going to show them support even though guys like Robert De Niro don't seem to care when they express their hatred for the president. It's just unbelievable the way they just target people because they're supporting not an extreme candidate, the president of the United States. You don't want to discriminate because of the way someone voted, said Ainsley uh, Earhart. This is a great, this is, this is great country. This is a great country. We all have different views. We can all have a great debate. We don't have to hate one another because we don't like who they voted for. Here's the thing. When it comes to these supporters of Trump, Robert De Niro, you know, he goes on Twitter and he rags on Trump all day. You get like Mark Ruffalo and Chris Evans. I wonder, do they actually feel this way? I'm going to have to say the answer is no. I really believe it's the answer is no. I think they're saying this. Here's what I imagine. There's a lot of people pretending to hate the president and saying things like this, but they secretly like the president. I mean it. I mean it. I bet there's a ton of people like this. They're all standing around yelling the president is bad, and each of them assumes they have no choice but to say it because everyone else is saying it, not realizing perhaps some people actually think the orange man is not so bad. As, as Flacco put it, orange man is, he's not that bad, right? That's kind of my position. 
When the media claims that Trump is talking about exterminating people, I'm like, no, 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 he's, he's literally not that bad, dude. Calm down. He's boorish and offensive. You can criticize his policies, but he's literally not that bad. That's insane. But then speaking from like a more nuanced approach of people who criticize him on his policies, he's still literally not that bad. Like, I, I think he's bad. His, his behavior is really, really bad. And even Trump supporters recognize it. And the pushback I often see is that behavior is irrelevant as opposed to his policy. I've also heard people say that bad behavior is good because it means he's going to push back on adversaries of America. But I think foreign policy-wise, it's good to criticize him for, like, missile strike in Syria is a big, big, big deal to me. I think that was a mistake. You guys know I'm, I'm a huge fan of Tulsi anti-war. It's very, very complicated stuff, which I've talked about and won't get into here. The point is, I imagine you have a room full of people most people are apolitical and don't care. You then have some people who are just really angry and scream orange man bad. Then you have a bunch of people who are just going like, yeah, orange man's bad. And they're just saying it when they don't actually know. Someone like Eric McCormick, I'm sure he doesn't actually know anything. And he just walks around and when someone says Trump's bad, he goes, yep, you're right. Yeah. Hoo -hoo, you know, and just virtue signals. But I'd be willing to bet there's a lot of celebrities who are all in agreement that they like Trump but don't say anything because they're scared or they'll lose their jobs and they hear everyone else saying the same thing. Imagine this. Two people walk in a room. They both like Trump, but the one guy goes, I, I don't like the orange man. So then the other one naturally says, right, me neither. And then they just sit there scared because they can't talk about it. That's the problem with outrage culture. You have these, these, uh, these activists who threaten small businesses. We will destroy you. It's not just in Hollywood. It's everywhere. You know what, man? It's about time people said, I don't care. Call me whatever you want. I just don't care anymore. And that's going to be a big, big moment for us when we can stop caring about the outrage. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out. And I will see a podcast every day at 630. I will see you all next time.